My name is Mark Beatty. I'm Editor-in-Chief of Archives of Disease and Childhood. I'd like to highlight some of the content from the September edition of the journal. The first article I'd like to cover this month relates to anxious mothers and whether they have anxious babies. So we all know that excessive crying is common in infancy and the etiology and threshold for referral, consultation, investigation, very complex, with its extreme associations with child abuse, early weaning and maternal depression. In this issue, Petzold and colleagues, in a prospective cohort of 306 infants, report the relationship between anxiety and depressive disorders and excessive crying. They define excessive crying as more than three hours per day on more than three days per week for more than three weeks. 29 out of 286, that's 10.1%, reported excessive infant crying. Infants of mothers with anxiety disorders diagnosed prior to pregnancy were at higher risk with an odds ratio of 2.54, 95% confidence intervals 1.11 to 5.78. Risk was increased when additional incident anxiety disorders during pregnancy were considered with an odds ratio of 3.02, 95% confidence interval 1.25 to 7.32 and until 16 months postpartum with an odds ratio of 2.87, 95% confidence interval 1.13 to 7.28. In this cohort, maternal depressive disorders were not associated with excessive infant crying. The association between maternal anxiety and excessive crying was not explained by sociodemographic and perinatal confounders. This association between anxiety in the parent and infant crying is important and has been little studied. The authors recommend consideration of maternal screening during the perinatal period in order to help target appropriate support and potentially impact on this common problem. In an accompanying editorial, Anxious Mothers, Anxious Babies, Harriet Hiscock discusses the findings and implications and reflects on the complex etiology of infant crying, which include a combination of environmental, behavioural and genetic factors. She does finish on a sensitive note. These issues need to be dealt with in a careful and considered manner so that we don't end up making anxious mums more anxious by blaming them for their infant's crying. The second article I'd like to cover relates to the management of difficult asthma. I found this very interesting. It's always interesting to look at the evidence base for commonly used treatments. So in this issue, Starsky and colleagues discuss intravenous salbutamol for childhood asthma. It is interesting to see how little evidence there is. Certainly more research is needed. There's very little data regarding efficacy and relating to sig the significant potential toxicity, which includes lactic acidosis and tachycardia, which by increasing respiratory workload could exacerbate the respiratory failure seen in chronic severe asthma. Important research questions include 
Is the treatment efficacious and safe? What is the optimal intravenous bolus? What are the best doses across the age range? Should inhaled treatment be stopped during intravenous treatment? What are the risks of treatment at high dose? And how is this best monitored? I'd commend this article to anyone who manages children with asthma in the acute setting and commend it particularly because it's important to know more about the drugs that we commonly use. The third article I'd like to cover relates to the withdrawal of intensive care outside the intensive care unit. This is a very interesting article in terms of how it might influence and impact on clinical practice. The majority of children who die in hospital do so in an intensive care environment, although this doesn't necessarily have to be the case, particularly if it's planned. In this issue, Laddie and colleagues review their experience of planned withdrawal of ventilatory support outside the intensive care setting with the intent of developing guidance for practice. Over a 10-year period, 18 children were considered. Three died prior to transfer. Transfer locations included home in five, hospice in eight, and others in two. The primary diagnosis varied, but all had multi-system pathology. Outcome following transfer is discussed in detail, including the practical, ethical, and resource issues. Most children, that's 12, died within 13 hours of extubation, although one child survived post-extubation and was later discharged from palliative services. The authors discuss introduction of withdrawal, preparation prior to transfer, extubation, care post-extubation and care post-death. Planned withdrawal of intensive care support is challenging and resource-intensive. The authors recommend the development of local collaborations and guidance which can potentially enable parents to consider a preferred place for their child to die, which may be outside the intensive care unit. In an accompanying editorial, Anton Mayer discusses giving parents a choice on a difficult journey, exploring further some of the many challenging practical and ethical issues. The final article I'd like to cover relates to inattention and ADHD in children born preterm. So children born preterm are at increased risk of ADHD. It's been suggested that inattention is a core deficit rather than hyperactivity stroke impulsivity. Inattention may be less easy to recognise and is an early risk factor for poor academic performance. In this issue, Brogan and colleagues report the outcome of screening children aged 8 to 10 years. They have recruited 117 very preterm, less than 32 weeks gestation infants and 77 term-born controls and use the Strength and Difficulties Questionnaire, DePaul ADHD Rating Scale and Teacher Report of Special Educational Needs. Parents and teachers rated very preterm children with higher SDQ hyperactivity in attention scores 
than term-born infants, with a relative risk of 4.0, confidence interval 1.4 to 11.4. Examining ADHD dimensions further, parents and teachers reported significantly more inattention symptoms than controls. Relative risk 4.8, 95% confidence interval 1.4 to 16. In contrast, there was no significant excess of hyperactivity or impulsivity. The effect persisted when children with special educational needs were excluded. So this is a very interesting observation and it suggests that very preterm children are at greater risk of inattention than hyperactivity or impulsivity. And this has very important implications for the recognition and management of ADHD in children born preterm. I'm Mark Beattie, Editor-in-Chief of Archives of Disease in Childhood. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Please refer to the journal website for the full papers.